And uh, in case you haven't missed me, uh, I've been away and just got back from Tanzania on Monday evening and uh, had a day of rest, came into the office all day Wednesday, and then by Wednesday night, I was feeling sick, went to bed, and I'd been in bed till, well, till this morning. In fact, I called my father-in-law and asked if he could fill in for me because I, I picked up a virus, so if my voice sounds a little bit funny or if I'm... If I'm getting confused a little bit, you'll cut me some slack. Amen? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So we're continuing on in our series on life hacks, and we're talking today about how to manage your money. When I started in the ministry at age 21, there was a Christian man who was uh, in the uh, financial advice line of work. He was a prominent leader in his church. And uh, he approached me knowing that I was just new in the ministry. He wanted to help me get on my feet and make sure I got established properly. And so he invited me to come to his office so that we could talk about, about my future, about my finances, and about how to properly manage those finances. I sat down across the desk from him, and he asked me how much money I made, which I can tell you at that time was not very much. It was enough to pay my, my tithe, my 10% tithe to the work of God. It was enough to pay for my, my car payment and enough to pay my house rent. And there was literally nothing left over. So he said to me, um, Alan, you're going to have to make a change in the way that you manage your finances. And I said, well, I think I'm a pretty good financial uh, manager. I'm able to, to pay my tithe, pay my car, and pay for my my rent. And he said, well, that's about all you've got. So I would advise that you quit tithing. Because you, uh, you, you obviously can give that up, but you can't give up the other two. That was, uh, that was the first financial advice that I ever got. Uh, before leaving the office, however, this uh, same financial advisor, good Christian man from a prominent, a prominent leader in a prominent church in this city, uh, he was able to, to sell me an $18 a month life insurance policy, and he said it's the best policy of all. He said, that's about all I can do for you. So I bought the policy, being 21 years of age and not really understanding really any of what he was talking about, I went ahead with it. Now fast forward some 10 years. Age 30, Gloria and I have just come home from Greece. We're missionaries there. I was in Athens for a year, came home, married Gloria. The the two of us went back to Thessaloniki together. And uh, we were done with Greece and we're prepared now to, to take on Western Gospel Church. This is what our church used to be called. And again, uh, not having a nickel to our name, we'd just been missionaries. We're, we were careful to give our 10% to the work of God while we were missionaries, and we also gave a certain percentage to missions work. So really, there wasn't any money left over for savings. But Gloria and I made up our minds early in our marriage that what we wanted to do is we wanted to really prove God. We wanted to really take God at his word and trust that, it, that the God who promised to take care of our needs would, in fact, take care of our needs. So here we are. We're moving into this brand new church. It, uh, uh, no money. Uh, we asked the, the former pastor if he'd be willing to sell us his house. He said yes. The problem is, is that we needed a down payment. And you've all heard the story how, how, as I was praying, the Lord reminded me of that insurance policy that I got when I was just 21 years of age. And I went and got the insurance, went, called the insurance company, actually called this man, 
that sold it to me in the first place. And I asked, can I borrow against that insurance policy? He said, yes, you can actually. And, uh, and as, you, as most of you will know, we, we borrowed the money, and then within just a couple of weeks, we got word that the company that, that uh, we had the insurance policy with actually went bankrupt, and we'd gotten our money out just in, just in time, and it was just enough for the down payment on our house. Glory and I have discovered throughout our married life that God works in mysterious ways, but one thing we do know is that God is, has never owed us anything. So I became a Christian when I was just eight years old. I've been to Bible school. I've been on the mission fields, uh, married now for 26 years. And I can, I can tell you that in all these years, God has not failed us, not even once. We have never, never, ever, ever found that God did not come through for us. And I believe it's because Gloria and I made up our minds very early, uh, really in the first, first days of our marriage, that we were going to be faithful in serving God and be faithful in giving as God has commanded, it, commanded us. So here's what, we, here's what we understand today. We understand that those of us who call ourselves Christians, we actually have entered into a relationship or into a partnership with God whereby we trust God to meet our needs. Uh, we, we believe that God will be there for us. He will answer our prayers. He will do the miraculous but we have to be careful that we do our part. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today, is how can you be assured of God's provision in your life? How can you be assured that God will meet your need? Because I know this about every person here today, that you, are, you, you think about your future, and you maybe even today are worried about your finances. Maybe, maybe some of you lost sleep last night because you're worried about, about your money and whether you're going to have enough to do all that, that you feel you need to do. I want to give you some biblical wisdom, some biblical guidance as to how you to, should live your life as a Christian in light of what Scripture tells us. Do you know that money management has become a multi-trillion dollar business in North America and around the world? We're, we're looking at trillions and trillions of dollars being invested. And so we, we understand this. We understand that, that most people want to be wise with their money. Uh, but there are some, however, that don't care, are not wise about it, in fact, who are poor stewards. Now, can I remind everybody this morning of something? As Christians, one of the, one of the, the key themes in the New Testament, and this might come as a shock to you, one of the key themes in the New Testament is that Christians are, in fact, stewards. God has entrusted certain things to us, and it's our job to be good stewards with what he's entrusted to us. So in case you don't know what a steward is, really quickly, it refers to the, the way that your time, your talent, and your treasure, maybe your wealth, are used or are given for the service of God. That's simply what it means. How do we, how do we use these things? And are we using it for God's glory or not? Interesting thing is this as well, is that the serious Christian and the serious Jew understands that... Anybody who calls himself or herself a child of God understands that, that he is a steward of, of, of what God has entrusted to him. Now, if we took time this morning, which we don't have time to do, but if we took time this morning to, to do an inventory of what God has entrusted to you, you would be amazed. There used to be a hymn that was sung when I was a boy called Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. How many have heard that one? And do you remember how the rest of it goes? And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. 
Uh, I think for many of us, we, we don't stop to do that. We don't stop to consider the, the many blessings that God has entrusted to us. And by the way, how many know when we talk about blessings, we're not just talking about financial blessings. There are so many ways that God blesses us and gives to us. And the Bible makes it clear to us that we are to be good stewards of these things. So important is it that Jesus makes this very shocking statement in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Here's what Jesus says. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And so for, for the believer, for the one who says, I am a Christian, I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a serious follower of Jesus Christ, here's then what you need to embrace and understand, is that someday you will have to give an account for how you have used what God has entrusted to you. Managing your money, then, is not just about you, and it's not just about you and your wife, and it's not just about you and your wife and your family. Folks, you need to understand that the way you manage the resources and the things that God's entrusted to you has, in fact, global ramifications. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But first of all, let's take a look at what the Bible says about the management of, of these resources that God has entrusted to us. So we understand then that as Christians, money management, managing the resources that God has given us, and that includes your talent and your skills and your money and your time, these things that God has given to you, this is not an option to manage it or not manage it. The Bible's clear that we must do that. And again, I don't have time to get into that. I would encourage you, if, you, if you're not sure about that, look it up yourself and you'll discover that stewardship, again, is a major theme of the New Testament. The Bible says we're, we're stewards or caretakers of what God has entrusted to us. And I want to read to you something right out of the very first chapter of the Bible, right out of Genesis chapter 1. And you might be surprised at this, but God makes it very clear when he speaks to Adam and Eve that they are, in fact, his stewards of his creation. Remember, God has pronounced his creation not just good, but very good. And he gives Adam and Eve very, uh, very specific, a very specific job to do. So I'm looking at Genesis 1, uh, verse 26. Then it, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So did you get that? God has created us as human beings. He's created us in his image. We are to be like God. And it says, They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, and the image of God he created, the male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And by the way, can I just say this? Some people have the notion or the idea that that is permission to treat God's creation any old way you want. I can tell you there's no greater lie that has been attributed to Christians than this lie. How many understand today that God has not given us permission to do as we like, rather he's given us responsibility to care for his creation? Then God blessed them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. 
And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it. It is very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. And so look at that, folks, right, right off the top, right at the very beginning of this book we call the Bible, is God's clear instruction that you and I are called to be stewards of his creation. So look at Genesis 1.28 more specifically. And it says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. There are a few theological points that I want to point out to you before we talk further about management. Things that you need to understand that will influence the way that you handle the resources that God's entrusted to you. And again, I just want to point out to you, when we talk about the resources of God, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about the brain that God has given you, the special skills, the special talent, the special ability that you have. This is it's not an accident that you have what you have. You've been given it because God wants you to use your gifts and your skills and your ability for his purposes, for his glory and honor. And the Bible says someday you will give an account for that. So the two key points I want you to take away this morning um, concerning, concerning the theology of management is, first of all, God wants to provide for you and to meet your every need. Would you tell the person beside you God wants to meet your needs? Go ahead, tell them that right now. That's good. Now, did, did anybody change the wording of that? Did you didn't say God wants to give you whatever you want? I hope nobody said that. Because that's not what I said. God's, God wants to meet your every need. And it's critical, folks, that you and I understand that. Because if we don't understand that, then you and I will not be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. Because we will think then that it's our responsibility to take care of, our, of numero uno first, right? But the Bible is clear that God will take care of us. In fact, God makes that declaration to Adam and Eve right from the top. He says, take a look at all these fruit-bearing trees. This is all yours. This is yours to eat. Look at I'm providing for you. I'm blessing you. I'm meeting your needs. Critical that you understand that. He said, Pastor Allen, I don't get it. Why, why is that so important? I'll tell you why. Because you and I, by nature, are worriers. How many would say, yeah, that's kind of me, Pastor Allen. I'll, I'll kind of admit that a little bit. I tend, to worry about my, I tend to worry about the future. I tend to worry about having enough. I tend to worry that I'm not going to have enough. I tend to wonder where my next meal is going to come from, so on and so forth. Well, Jesus, at the very beginning of his teaching ministry, we would call it his inaugural address, if you will, Jesus declares to everybody what he stands for and what he believes. You, you've heard me say this before. And he says this. He says that you and I do have a tendency to fear. We have a tendency to worry. Where is the next dollar going to come from? And Jesus says, look at the fields. Look, look how beautifully they're, they're laid out, how beautifully they're arrayed with these beautiful flowers. Not even Solomon looks as good as these fields do. Did you get that? He says, look at the sparrow. It's flying around there. That sparrow's not worrying about where he's going to get his food from. God takes care of that sparrow. And then he says, and you know what? Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, for some of us, that's not a big deal. But for others of us, that's a fairly big deal. God even knows that. So Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, look, it, if God can take care of the sparrows and even the, the fields, making them look beautiful, 
How much more is God going to take care of you and me? And so Jesus is addressing what absolutely every single human being struggles with, and that is worrying about tomorrow, worrying about God's provision, worrying about having enough, worrying about making ends meet. And Jesus wants to make it very clear that at the very foundation of this Christian faith is the realization that God loves us and wants to take care of us. Someone say hallelujah. Yeah. He wants to take good care of you. He wants to meet all your needs. Listen to what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 6, 31 to 32, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Hello, did you hear that? These thoughts dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, not believers, unbelievers. So you understand then that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I trust God for what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and what we're going to drink. And Jesus says this, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Did you hear that? Your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. So I want to say this to everybody here today, especially for those who are struggling financially, those of you who are worrying even now. And I know that there are people like that here this morning. You're worrying about the future. You're worrying about money. I want you to know God knows all about your situation. He loves you. He cares about you, and he wants to help you through. And guess what? He will. But you got to trust him. you got to start doing things God's way. And I'm going, to talk, I'm going to share with you in just a moment what that means. Now, let's, let's, let's go back in time once again to when I first started in the ministry. I've got enough money to pay my rent, to pay for my car, and most importantly, to pay my tithe. Do you know, one day, someone was asking me, he says, how much money do you actually make? And I said, well, you know, that's kind of a personal question. I know, but just tell me. So I said, okay, I'll tell you just about 900 and something dollars, enough to pay my tithe, pay my rent, pay for my car. This person said to me, well, how do you feed yourself? Do you know, for the first year of ministry, in what was then Charleswood Gospel Temple, in the first year of ministry, I was invited to people's homes on a regular basis. Young people in the church, they'd say, Mom and Dad, can we have Pastor Allen over for supper? Yes, we can have Pastor Allen over for supper. Doris Weeb's sitting just a few chairs back here. She used to have me over for lunch for bacon, tomato sandwiches. Bacon, tomato, and cheese sandwiches, the best sandwiches you'll ever have in your life. It's just about time for another one, wouldn't you say? I'll call you this week. The place where I was living, the caretaker, her name was Julie Jerem, Joe and Julie Jerem, they went to our church, and they, when I first arrived at the church, they told the pastor, Pastor, we've got a suite for our new pastor. Now, it was probably more expensive than I could afford, but, you know, 21 years old, it's like, you know, God, whatever, you're going to take care of me, right? Joe and Julie, on a regular basis, would either have me over for supper or for lunch or would bring over leftovers to my house. Folks, do you know that for the first year, I didn't even know that I didn't have enough money to buy food? I'm not kidding you. 21 years of age, I didn't even know that I didn't have enough money to buy food. But here's what I discovered. I discovered that with God's calling comes his enabling. And that the God who has promised me in Matthew 6.31 that my heavenly Father already knows my needs and will take care of me did in fact do just that. 
And so, folks, I'm going to tell you, that was the beginning of my ministry. In fact, Gloria and I had discovered that, that God has provided for us and met our needs in miraculous ways all through the years. I'm going to tell you, circumstances have changed now. I make a better wage today. Gloria is working. And so now it's turn. Now we're able to be those people like Joe and Julie Jerem that are able to care for people that don't have, have too much money in their bank account. We're the ones that can be a blessing to other people. We now are the ones that God is using to be a blessing to other people. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand about being a Christian, is that God has created this this family that we call the church. And this is the place where God cares for his people and provides for his people and teaches his people how to live a life that's worry-free and carefree. How to live a life totally dependent on the Father. That's the first thing you need to understand. The second thing you need to understand is that we were created in the image of God. Now, can I just remind everybody of something? Because you and I have been created in the image of God, and we read that in verse 29 of chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, because we were created in the image of God, it means that we manifest the very nature of God. And here's what you will discover about God. God is not greedy. Hello, God's not greedy, he's not wasteful, God is not lazy, God cares for his creation, God cares for those things that belong to him. But the problem with us as human beings is that we are greedy. We are greedy by nature. We want more, we're not happy with what we have, and we find ourselves in our North American way of life, we find ourselves saying, if I have just a little bit more, just a little bit more, then I can be generous. Then I can be kind. If I have just a little bit more, then I can give. Here's what I've discovered, folks, is that you'll never have enough. You will never have enough to be generous. Being generous is is taking that step of faith where you're willing to say, Father in heaven, I am going to imitate you. I'm going to be like you because that's what a Christian is. When I was coming back from Tanzania, uh, exhausted, 20, 22 hours of flying time. That doesn't count the number of hours actually in airports. 22 hours of flying time. I had read all the books I could read. I could h- hardly think anymore. I thought, I'm going to try to find a, a movie to watch. And thankfully, KLM had a, had a series of old movies from years and years ago. And one of these movies that I've always wanted to see was a movie called Wall Street. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it with Michael Douglas. Some of you have heard of it. Michael Douglas is a slimy, sleazy uh, stock trader. He's just the slimiest guy you'd ever, ever meet. Michael Douglas, in his role, I can't even remember what his name is, but Michael Douglas, in his role, is actually at a shareholders meeting, and he stands up to give a lecture to all the shareholders about how important it is to start making real money. And here's... Here's what his uh, speech, here's how his speech goes. He's, a, he's the largest, single greatest stockholder for Teldar Paper. Here's his speech. He says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, did you hear that? Greed, G-R-E-E-D. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Did you hear that? Now, of course, when, when the average person hears that, they're a little bit shocked. I mean, greed is not good. In fact, I remember at the time when the movie came out, that was sort of the buzz phrase. Everybody was repeating it. 
Greed is good. He goes on to say, greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, it cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Now, of course, you and I look at this or listen to this, and we recognize that it's, it's fraught with, uh, with misjudgment and uh, with stupidity. In fact, if, if you remember back in 2008, we had a horrific financial crisis. It was called the global financial crisis. Most people was of my age, uh, remember at that time losing uh, massive amounts of value in their portfolio if they've got one. But I can tell you that this financial crisis, if you look at it, it can be summed up in just a word, greed. This financial crisis was driven by greed and greed alone. In fact, it was so disturbing that in 2011, a group of high, not high school students, but college students, university students gathered together and they, they started a, a group called Occupy Wall Street. Does anybody remember that in 2011? And they were going to, they were camping out. They brought their tents. They camped out on Wall Street. And they were going to protest the social and economic inequality around the world. People were fed up with the greed that had hit them. Now, here's the thing, folks. And this is very sad to me, and it's disturbing to me. But for so many Christians... You almost can't tell the difference between somebody who says he's a follower of Jesus Christ and somebody who's not. Because we have fallen prey to the same greed. And we want to line our own pockets and we want to take care of ourselves first. And I want to get my own car. I remember a board member at a church that I was a pastor of years ago saying, Pastor Allen, as soon as I pay pay my car off, that's when I'm going to begin to tithe. And I said to him, you know what, Junior, you'll never tithe. It'll never happen. And sure enough, he got his car paid off, and guess what happened to his car? It broke down and needed a transmission, and now he's got to pay for the transmission. And it went on and on and on like that. He never learned what it meant to trust God. He never learned how to live the way that God called him to live. So I want to talk to you really quickly about what it means to be a Christian who manage his resources well. Jesus gives us a very interesting picture of what it means to be a faithful manager. In Acts, or Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Jesus says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. That would be Jesus. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And so one person got five pieces of silver, another person got three pieces of silver, and yet another one got one piece of silver. And you maybe know how the story goes. The guy that was given the five pieces of silver when the master returned had actually doubled it. And the guy that, gave, that was given three pieces of silver, he also doubled it. So now he's got six pieces of silver. But the one who was given one talent, you know what he did with that talents of silver? He buried it. He did nothing with it. Now, here's what Jesus says to the first two guys, the one that was given five talents of silver and the one given three. Now, I want you to notice something, by the way. How many pieces of silver you have, how many talents you have, how many resources you have, how much money you have, doesn't matter. 
to God. What matters to God is that you're faithful with what he has given you. Do you get that today? And so here's what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 21. The master was full of praise for the guy with five pieces of silver who doubled it and the guy with three who, who doubled. And he, the master says the same thing to both guys. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I would advise you to read Matthew 25 when the service is over and find out what happens to the guy that buries the talent and doesn't invest it. It doesn't bode well for him. But here's what I want, you to, I want to point out to you right now, because some of you are sitting here today and say, you know, Pastor John, I don't know why God doesn't entrust more to me. You know, if God would just give me more money or give me a better job or give me a raise or, or make it possible for me to make more money, then I would give more. But the point is this, is God has already given you something. The question is this, is what have you done with it? And Jesus makes it very clear that if he can't trust you with a, with a few things, how on earth will he trust you with more? In fact, here's what I've seen happen with so many people who have had great amounts of wealth dumped on their lap, is that they squander it. They don't know what to do with it. In fact, there are syndicated TV shows about called I Won the Lottery. Has anybody seen that? People who have won millions of dollars and now are back on Skid Row. Why is that? It's because they haven't learned to manage what God has entrusted to them. So here's what I'll say to everybody here today. You're saying, Pastor Ellen, I want to be one of those people that God entrusts wealth to so that I can now take it and use it for God's glory. If you're that kind of a person, then you need to think seriously about how you're living your life. And I'm going to give you a few pointers right now that if you will follow these pointers, these three, these three guidelines, if you will follow these three guidelines, then here's what I know will happen. God will entrust more to you. God will, as they say, will enlarge your tent. God will, will move out your, your borders. He will enlarge your borders. God will be able to trust you with more if you are found faithful with what you have now. Does everybody understand the same men if you get that? Thank you. Some of you don't get it yet. Talk to me after the service if you want. It's critical that you get this. Again, because I deal with people all the time who are constantly, perennially struggling, just don't have enough, can't get it together, can't get it together. And it's because there's three things that they failed to do. And so here it is, really quickly. How do you manage your money in a way that glorifies God, in a way that brings honor to him? First of all, you need to make financial decisions based on these three rules. First of all, you need to avoid debt. Did everybody hear that? You need to avoid debt. Contrary to what our culture is telling us, going into debt is not helping you. It's hurting you. And for many of us right here, right now, you'd be extremely embarrassed if somehow God gave me a word of knowledge and I pointed at you and said, okay, you're $60,000 in debt, all your credit cards are maxed up, but thank God we're not that kind of a church, so don't worry. But you know, you know, you know that right now you are severely compromised financially because you've gone so far into debt. And there's all kinds of reasons why you've gone into debt. But I can tell you what... What most of the books say is a cause of debt, and for most people, it's because they simply cannot delay gratification. 
I got to have it, and I got to have it now. I can't wait. And it's that mentality, which, by the way, whether you like it or not, reflects the greed that every one of us has the potential to, to, to display. You need to avoid debt. Look what it says in Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. And so for, for many of us right now, we're actually more slaves to our money and slaves to the credit companies than we are to Christ. And yet Jesus Christ is supposed to be our master, not Visa. Hello? Listen to this. This is quite shocking from the Financial Post. Statistics Canada say that 71% of all Canadian families carry some form of debt, which includes mortgages, car loans, new kitchens, and many of the fashionable material trappings of the modern middle-class lifestyle. 71%. That would be the majority of us here today. Now listen to this. Even Americans, who we like to think are more wasteful than us. Don't we Canadians think we're superior to the, to the Americans? So many of us do. Come on, let's just be honest. But listen to this. And by the way, that's, if there's any Americans here today, that's not a job. That's shame on us. Even Americans who, who we like to think are more wasteful than us are managing to save more than Canadians. Listen to this. In fact, we are second only to Greece in the growth rate of household debt. Did you hear that? Is anybody as shocked as I am? We are second only to Greece. Does anybody know what's happening in Greece today? Greece is on the verge of financial collapse, of bankruptcy, and Canadians are not far behind. This is what the Financial Post tells us. So here's what you and I need to know about debt. Debt and money problems are the number one killer of marriages. And I'm going to say this to you today. If you are struggling with debt today, then you need to make an appointment with me immediately. You need to make an appointment with a debt counselor. You need to make an appointment with somebody, and you need to get the help. And there's help for you out there. But you need to get this debt crisis under control. For some of you, the way that you are managing your debt is by borrowing from one credit card to pay the other credit card, and, and the juggling act goes on, and the interest rates blossom and bloom. I remember one fellow, he wanted to get a vehicle, and he could not buy, he did not want to buy uh, by junk, as he would say. And so he went and got a, a loan with a certain loan company here in Winnipeg, which I will not name. He got a loan for 30% on the dollar. Why 30%? Because number one, he didn't have a good, a good uh, credit rating. And secondly, because uh, he didn't have any collateral. And so guess what? 30% over five years on a vehicle that's 10 years old. His vehicle broke down within a year and a half, and now he's got this whole debt to pay. Well, you can see where that's going to go and where it's going to go quickly. It all ended in bankruptcy because he, he couldn't afford to pay the bill. Now listen to me, folks. I want you to know something. As Christians, we don't do that. As Christians, we honor our debts. In fact, as Christians, we try not to go into debt. We try to avoid it at all costs. And I'm going to tell you right now that debt will kill your company, your business. It's going to kill your marriage. It'll kill your family. 
It causes breakdowns in family. It causes depression and even suicide. It comes from a, this, this debt, this, this willingness to go into debt. It comes from this idea that God will not take care of me. I've got to take care of myself. Before you start rigging something up on your credit card, think to yourself, ask yourself the question, Lord Jesus, is this what you want me to do? And I'm guessing that the Lord Jesus will tell you not to buy that thing. The second thing you need to do is that you need to save 10%. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, a lot of people never think of that. But the point is this, is that your job is to care for your family, to care for your grandchildren. Gloria and I made it very clear right off the bat when we got married that we needed to put aside at least 10% of our income, and, and we've, we've upped it over the years because we don't want to be a burden to our families. We, we don't want to teach our kids how to properly manage their resources and their funds. And we want to be able to bless our kids and our grandkids at some point in life. When they get married, we want to contribute. Whatever it is that they're doing, we want to be contributors. We want to be part of that process. Has anybody seen that bumper sticker? Usually on the back of these massive RVs, and it says, we're spending our kids' inheritance. Anybody seen that? Okay, so it's, you know, we chuckle and we giggle at that, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. That's Proverbs 13, 32. So you and I need to change our attitude concerning money. If you're, not, if you're living on 100% of your income, then you're not living the way God wants you to live. You need to start, number one, getting out of debt. Secondly, you need to start putting aside 10% of your income, at least. And then thirdly, you need to give 10%, at least. Look what, again what it says in Matthew 6, 20 to 21. And again, this is, this is a sermon not about tithing. It's about how to manage your money. And this is one of the things that you do if you're going to manage your money properly. Matthew 6, 20 to 21 says, Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so the question that I would have for you this morning is this, is where is your heart? Because I know that's where your treasure is. And I'm going to tell you this, is that you and I were not created to be greedy and to, and to be, live self-centered lives where we take care of ourselves first. God has called us to be stewards, and we recognize that right there in Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Old Testament, and we come to the first chapter of the New Testament, and Jesus Christ himself is reiterating what we've read in chapter 1 of Genesis. God's called you and I to be good stewards of what's been entrusted to us. And the way that's going to happen is avoid debt, put away, save at least 10%, and give 10% to those in need. Because in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, a tenth of everything belongs to the Lord. And if you believe that God's going to provide for you and meet your every need, then what you're going to do is be careful to make sure that one-tenth is going to go to the work of God. In our old church, there was a, a woman who was was quite, quite needy and struggled with life. She was on social assistance, but she was faithful and she was generous. And out of her small little, little check, she would say, Pastor Allen, I don't have a, enough. I don't have a lot, but I have enough to make sure that I bless God first in whatever I do. I think for so many of us here today, you and I are being held bondage 
by our greediness, by our unwillingness to be part of what God's called every one of us to be part of. You and I are called to partner with God in advancing his great work around the world. There's a whole world out there, folks, that's broken and hurting and needy, and they need you and I to rise up and be part of the solution. Amen? This past week, I was in Tanzania with the privilege of, of speaking to 31 of some of the sharpest leaders I've ever met. These are leaders from the Villages of Hope, Africa. They gathered together, came from Malawi, Zimbabwe, and Zambia, uh, Kenya, um, Tanzania, obviously. They came together, and they asked me to teach them about the seven habits. And wonderfully, uh, everybody instantly understood the significance of it because these are people who are working with children, and they understand how critical it is to teach these children the behaviors of a Christ follower. They understood it instantly, and the questions they had powerful, excellent. I got reflecting on, on this group of people that I had the privilege of ministering to, probably, probably lectured for about eight, eight and a half hours. And I was thinking about our first involvement with Village of Hope Africa, which was back in 2002. Sergio Bersaglio was the director of the Kitwe Village in Zambia. Some of us have actually been there. And... Uh, Fast forward 13 years. The very first thing that we did was we, we raised enough money to build a classroom and a half. Fast forward after building a, a youth house and building a, an orphanage for eight kids. Here, here I am with 31 sharp leaders from 10 countries. And I said, God, thank you for the privilege and honor to be, to be partnering with this organization that's making this huge difference not just in Kitwe, but now through many of Eastern Africa's countries. Do you want to know something, folks? Village of Hope Africa now is reaching over 3,200 children, not counting their, the extended families. This is only made possible because there's people here in this church who understand that we are stewards of what God's entrusted to us, and it's our job to partner together to make a difference around the world. How thrilled I was to be at that event. Meeting with these leaders who represent 3,200 children. Folks, I can tell you there is no greater reward, no greater feeling in all the world than to know that when I leave this earth, I left it a little bit better than when I came. What significance will your life hold? I can tell you this, your life will go on being meaningless and empty until you learn what it means to start managing the resources and, the, and be stewards of what God's entrusted to you. Would you stand with me, please? Well, your eyes are closed. I want to just echo once again the words of Jesus. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Father, you know the need that's represented here today, and your spirit has been speaking to us. Some of us, God, we recognize that there's so much more we could do. 
Some of us recognize that we have been poor stewards of what's been entrusted to us. We've been living for ourselves. We've been living self-centered. We cannot delay gratification. We recognize, God, that we have been spending the whole paycheck and living from paycheck to paycheck. Some of us have not even been living paycheck to paycheck. We've been visiting the, the loan sharks and getting advances on our next paycheck. And we've, our lives are out of control. We're deeply in debt. God, this is not your will for anybody. And God, we thank God for this church where there's no judgment and no condemnation. This is a place, God, where we're here to help people become all that you want them to be. So God, by your spirit, would you do a work in the heart of each one? Lord, if there's changes that need to be, to be made, then God, give us the grace to make those changes. We thank you, Lord. Your grace is sufficient for us. God, we commit each one to you now thanking you that our church has been able to be part of reaching 3,200 children in Africa with your love and with a better way of living. So we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, you're a steward.